Let's open our Bibles tonight, go back to the book of 1 Thessalonians. It's been a couple weeks, but we're looking forward to getting back to our study in this book. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and we'll read the first half of the chapter tonight. You know, there are appointments that we enjoy. Thinking of tomorrow we have an appointment in the morning. Um, the young people, as well as some of you adults, are going to be joining us at the Hopewell Baptist Meeting House, and we're having a bit of a Baptist history field trip tomorrow, and I'm looking forward to that. I enjoy um, history, and especially Baptist history, and, and thinking about uh, those that have gone before and what they endured to serve the Lord, and I'm excited about that appointment. There's other appointments that maybe you don't look forward to as much that you dread, Perhaps some of you are going to the dentist this week. I don't know. I'm sure there's got to be someone, right? Appointments like that where you're not really looking forward to those. But the reason that we make appointments is so that we can be prepared, so that we can be ready for what's about to take place. We can be ready for what's on the calendar, what's on the schedule, what's, gonna, what's supposed to at least happen at this time on this date. In our text, we find that there is an appointment, an appointment for the people in the church, which is located in the city of Thessalonica. And Paul mentions this appointment, and he mentions it because it's something that they need to be ready for and prepared for. Look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone, and sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith, that no man should be moved by these afflictions, for yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and ye know. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I set to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. Dear Lord, would you help us tonight as we look at the appointment with suffering? I pray that you would help us to understand what you have preserved here for us, to understand the, the, the meaning, why it's here, but more importantly, would you help us to understand the parallels with our own lives and our own walk with you. Teach us from your word um, this evening, I pray. Help me to preach those things, only those things that you want me to say. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now here in chapter 3, Paul picks up beginning, and really we see this throughout chapter 1, 2, and 3. He's going to get to the main, you know, the main thrust of his letter in just a little bit, but we're not there yet. Again, Paul is going to rehearse some events that took place in the past. And if we could uh, take, take a few moments and go back and remember a little bit of the, the context of the setting of the book of 1 Thessalonians. Paul and his missions team, including, including himself and Silas and Timothy had come to Thessalonica from Philippi. And most of you remember what took place there. Luke had stayed behind 
uh, to help those that were saved and the young church there. But this is on Paul's second missionary journey. And he's now arrived in, in Philippi with Silas and Timothy. And God had blessed their ministry in the city of Thessalonica. There was a great multitude of devout Greeks that got saved. There was not a few, as the book of Acts tells us, not a few of the chief women who got saved and uh, joined themselves to that church. It was, a, it was an extremely fruitful ministry, but it was also a short-lived ministry, probably only a few months' worth of time. Specifically, Acts talks about those three weeks in, in the synagogue. I believe there was some, a little bit of additional time after that uh, where Paul was just meeting with them daily, equipping them, discipling them. But the ministry as a whole was rather short-lived. The unbelieving Jews wound up wiring, or, um, wiring, hiring, that's the right word. They wound up hiring uh, some very interesting Jewish folks, or, or they actually weren't Jewish necessarily, but they were a bunch of riffraff, uh, some mercenaries that they hired to, to set the city on an uproar against Paul. They formed a mob that was sent to apprehend Paul, but when they couldn't find him, they wound up grabbing a man named Jason, one of the believers that was there, as, uh, along with another faithful believer. We don't know his name, but it was Jason and this other believer that they hauled off and pressured the authorities into detaining them, and, and they had to, to pay a, a ransom, basically, uh, in order to, to free them. But it was clear to the brethren of Thessalonica that they had to send Paul away, and they had to do so immediately, is the word that's used in Acts 17. Paul needed to leave right away. There was no preparation. There was no, you know, um, you know, we're getting prepared. We're getting ready for this to take place. It just, it just happened. And Paul was gone. And I'm sure as their spiritual father, you can imagine the tension in Paul's heart. And if you've ever been involved in discipleship and in investing yourself into someone else, uh, someone else spiritually, you can understand what, what Paul was feeling. He had much to teach them, but instead he's ripped away from them. And I'm sure in some ways he was feeling like the task was incomplete. There was so much more he wanted to do. And I think if you look at the church as a whole, he accomplished a great deal while he was there. But I'm sure as he looked at it, there was a lot more that needed to be done. On top of that, the situation that he was leaving behind was not an ideal situation. It was not one where, you know, all the, uh, all the details were set in place for these believers to be successful. No, the, we could say the proverbial deck was stacked against them because they would now be facing that stiff opposition and they would be facing it alone. Yes, maybe some of it would die down just a little bit because Paul wasn't there. But we understand from other parts in this book that they still faced stiff persecution and opposition. At first, Paul traveled to the city of Berea, and you can see that Berea is relatively close. It's not that far. And I'm sure there was probably a desire on Paul's part to maybe see if the situation would die down enough for him to, to go back and finish the work that he started in Thessalonica. But you may remember the story. Uh, it was... It was close enough that the Jewish folks who were opposing Paul could send some folks over to Berea and stir up trouble there. And they had Paul thrust out from Berea. And this time, he traveled all the way down to the city of Athens. And that probably would not be by land, 
but it would probably be catching a, catching a boat here and sailing down and around uh, all the way to Athens. This is a long way away. So there's no hope of, hey, maybe we can return and, and uh, uh, finish that work or, or be a part of what's going on there. He was a long way away. And in this passage, Paul recounts his desire and eventually the relief to his heart to finally be able to send Timothy to make sure they had all that they needed to endure what we'll call tonight and kind of the theme tonight, to endure their appointment with suffering. Indeed, they had an appointment with suffering. And we see in in the beginning of the chapter, first of all, as we we look at uh, our text tonight, we see Paul's concern about that appointment. Paul's concern about their appointment with suffering. He says in verse 1, Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone and sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish and comfort you concerning your faith. You can feel Paul's concern for the believers. He starts off chapter 3 by saying, Wherefore? Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear. And what he's doing is he is drawing our attention back to the previous chapter and back to the, the explanation of the relationship that he had with the believers in Thessalonica. Because of the closeness of their relationship, because of Paul's investment into these believers, he had a deep concern for their spiritual health and their spiritual vitality. He was concerned about their faith. He was concerned about the strength of their faith. And he was also deeply concerned, as he mentions in verse 14 of of chapter 1, he was also concerned about the suffering that they were enduring. And he wanted to meet the needs that he knew they were facing. He says in in verse 1, he could no longer forbear. And the idea there is he, he couldn't endure, he couldn't put up with the current situation of separation. He could, just couldn't do it anymore. Something had to change. He knew the affliction they were enduring. He, he had even ex, uh, experienced, as we pointed out at the end of chapter 1, he had experienced Satan's resistance as he multiple times wanted to go back to the city of Thessalonica and, and Satan hindered him every single time and he knew There's a reason why the enemy is fighting. Because the enemy knows that there's a need that's here and a need that needs to be met and he does not want that need to be met. He knew the enemy's resistance to his return. And because of all of that, he knew how important it would be to send someone. Even if he could not go himself, there was a need for someone to go. Someone to go to meet the needs of this young congregation. And so because of Paul's concern, because of his love for them, we see his sacrifice for them. When we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone. Think of that phrase, to be left alone. Do you realize tonight that when we study Paul's missionary labors, he was rarely ever alone. There were always, well, most of the time, almost always, maybe put it that way, there was almost always men 
who were accompanying Paul. I believe there's some good reasons for that. Part of that was because he was always training men. And in order to, to uh, uh, mentor men, they need to be with you. And they needed to be with Paul. So he took them with him. And I think we see that with Timothy. That's the reason why Timothy was with. Uh, because he had, they had proven himself in Lystra and Derby, And on this missionary journey, Paul had said, Hey, travel with us. It's time to take your training and your experience to the next level. And so that's the reason why Timothy was probably with him. But Silas was also with Paul and traveling with Paul as his companion. And there's accountability there. There is the, the ability to strengthen one another. As, as uh, the Bible tells us, that threefold cord is not easily broken. There's there, there strength there. And so Paul was rarely ever alone. And even when Paul was separated from Silas and Timothy, you remember the, uh, the Jews had come from Thessalonica and had, had kind of shoved Paul out of Berea. Timothy and Silas stayed there. But as Paul was leaving, he gave the brethren a commandment in Acts 17 verse 15 that, that Silas and Timothy were to come with him or come to him with all speed. So you get the idea. He wanted to be reunited with them. He felt the need to be reunited with them as soon as possible. However, in this case, because of Paul's concern, he was willing to sacrifice his need of companionship, his need of of the missions team being complete and being together. He was willing to sacrifice that because that was best for the believers in Thessalonica. And now Paul is left alone. He was willing to do that because of how much he cared for them. And he was left alone in Athens, or at Athens. If you know anything about Athens, the book of Acts describes that city as a place that was wholly given to idolatry. This was not friendly territory. This is not a place as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, a worshiper of the one true God. This was not a place where you felt comfortable. In fact, we find a description in Acts chapter 18 when Paul would eventually speak and preach the gospel. Many would mock the message. They would say, what will this babbler say next? They'd make fun of what he was saying. They thought he, t- he taught strange things. So this was not a place where Paul felt at home. Not a place where he felt comfortable. But because of his concern for the believers in Thessalonica, because the fact that he knew what they were going through, he was willing to sacrifice because he loved them. And you know what? When we think about love, we realize that, that the very nature of love demands a sacrifice. In fact, it's love that thinks of sacrifice as good. You notice how he phrased that in verse 1? When we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left alone. We thought it good. Love looks at sacrifice and says, you know what, that's good. Because of how much I care for, for, for them, I'm willing to sacrifice. And, and the, the act of sacrificing for them is something that's not bad. It's actually something that is good. When we see something about love, we get a picture of what love looks like. Paul thought it good for himself to be alone so that the needs of the believers in Thessalonica could be met. Do you know tonight it's impossible to meet the spiritual needs of others? It's, it's impossible to be involved in discipleship. It's impossible to be involved in evangelism without sacrifice. 
The Great Commission is not something that just comes to us because we really wish that we could be involved in it. It's something that happens when we make the decision, I'm going to be obedient to God in this area, and I'm going to make it a priority, and I'm going to open my life to individuals, to other people, for the purpose of reaching them with the gospel. That's, that's not something that is, that is easy. That's not something that's convenient, that just sort of uh, uh, slides right into our free time and doesn't, invade, doesn't push other things to the side. No, there's, there's a sacrifice that, that's to be involved in it. And that's one of the reasons why, unfortunately, so few believers are participating in it. Because, you know what? I just don't have time right now. It's not convenient. I, 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 don't, I, I don't know if I want to experience that. But Paul thought it was important. And so he was willing to sacrifice to provide for the needs of these believers. So we see Paul's concern in his sacrifice. We also see his concern in his sending. And verse 2 just simply says, and he sent Timotheus. He sent Timotheus, and then he describes what Timothy meant to him, as well as what he meant to the believers there in Thessalonica. He uses that term, our. Timothy, who is our brother, our minister, and our fellow laborer. And as Paul thought about Timothy, and though he was a spiritual father to Timothy, he realized that Timothy's companionship was was close as as a brother. Timothy's relationship meant something to Paul, and he knew it would mean something to them, and he was willing to sacrifice that relationship for the good of the believers in Thessalonica. Timothy was a minister. The idea of a minister is... It's actually the word for deacon. It's a servant. All right? Timothy was Paul's servant because that's what was on his heart. I'm sure he was the kind of young man who, whatever you want, Paul, just send me in the direction. Uh, you want me to go here? Do you need this? Uh, do you need me to take care of that for you? Timothy was Paul's minister. Paul says, I'm sending and I sent my minister so that he could be your minister. He gave up his minister, his brother, and his fellow laborer. Timothy was by Paul's side fulfilling what was necessary in the ministry. And Paul says, I'm, I'm, I'm sending that. I'm, I'm, giving, I'm giving that away. Because I know that's what you need. And he will do the same for you. And we find this happening multiple times with Paul sending Timothy to where there was where there was needs. We see this happening in the city of Philippi, and and uh, one of my favorite passages, Philippians two verses twenty through twenty two, where Paul says, "I'm sending Timothy to you, and here's the reason why: because I have no man like minded who will naturally care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. But ye know the proof of him that as a son with the Father he hath served with me in the gospel." You realize tonight that the ministry cannot be accomplished without those who are willing to go. Timothy was one who was willing to go. And Paul knew if I send him, I know exactly what he will do. And the reason why he knew what Timothy would do is he had experienced it himself. Timothy had built a a pattern of 
behavior. And Paul knew, I know what's going to happen if I send him. There's a need there, and I know the need will be met if I send Timothy. We realize as well that the ministry needs those that are willing to go because one individual, one man cannot do it all. The task is too great. There's too much that needs to be done. One can't do it all. There needs to be more laborers. And we see this relationship between Paul and Timothy and the very clear lesson to us that there needs to be a willingness to go And there also needs to be a willingness to send. A willingness on the person, on the individual to go and to leave the place where they were, to leave perhaps the place of comfort, perhaps the place where a a relative knowing what's what's taking place and going off to an uncertain place. A willingness to to sacrifice yourself, to, to go to that unknown place, to meet that need. There needs to be a willingness to go. But then there also needs to be a willingness to send. Because Paul is sending away someone who is very important to him. Someone who's, who's, who is meeting a need that Paul has. But he's willing to send. What a picture we find of the Great Commission. There needs to be a willingness to go and there needs to be a willingness to send. And so we see Paul's concern sacrificing himself so that Timothy could be sent to meet the needs of the believers. We see Paul's concern. Then in the middle of verse number 2, we also see Timothy's commission. What is Timothy going to go and what is he going to do? Well, he says, I'm sending, I'm sending our brother and the minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to, this is his objective, this is his commission, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. Timothy's commission includes his purpose. And his purpose is all around, his purpose in going is all around your faith. Concerning your faith. The focus of Timothy is not necessarily on the physical needs. Although, when we think about what these believers were enduring, the persecution that they were facing, no doubt there would be some physical needs that would be a part of that. But that was not Timothy's primary objective. It was not his primary purpose His primary purpose was their spiritual needs and not necessarily their physical needs. I'm going for their faith. I'm I'm going because there's a need in their faith that must be met. And two things regarding their faith. His purpose regarding their faith was to establish their faith. To establish their faith. To strengthen it. That's what that word establish means. To make it firm and make it stable. I read this definition of establish, of the Greek word behind it. It says to make more marked. To make more marked by firm determination or resolution. I'm going to establish their faith. I'm making it more firm. I'm giving them a resolution to stand. I'm giving them a purpose to continue on. Their faith needs to be established. And of course, when you are enduring, when you're facing persecution, when, when, when you're facing attacks because of your, your faith, there's that temptation over time to just weaken, a temptation uh, uh, to take a step back, to not, be, to not be so firm, not be so strong. 
But in those situations, we need our faith strengthened. And Timothy was going to strengthen and establish their faith. But he was also going to comfort them concerning their faith. The word comfort means to to support. It means to encourage. The word behind comfort is that same word that's used to describe the Holy Spirit. Calling you to His side. Well, actually more, it's the other. Yeah, to call to one side. That's what that word means. And we think about the Holy Spirit's ministry in our lives. He's called our comforter. That's the same word there. Think about how does, the, how does the Holy Spirit comfort us? If you're a believer, you should know. You've experienced it because that's his objective. All right? So he comforts. How does he do that? Well, he's, he reminds us of who God is. He reminds us of the, the character of our, of our Savior. He reminds us. He takes our minds to the, the truths of Scripture and to the specific truths that... that uh, uh, that speak to our situation. That's how, that's how the Holy Spirit comforts us. And that's exactly the, the ministry that Timothy was embarking on. He was going to use uh, the, the character and the nature of God. He's going to use the Scriptures to comfort them, to support them, to encourage them, to call them to His side and comfort them concerning their faith. But there's an important truth here. You notice Timothy had to go. In order to accomplish these things, to establish their faith and to to comfort their faith, Timothy had to be in their assembly. He had to be with them. He had to be there. It would be convenient, and I'm not speaking against technology in any way, it would be convenient for us to, you know, set everything up back here so we don't have to go anywhere and we could just, you know, via the internet, do all the Great Commission and all of that uh, online from a distance. Unfortunately, it doesn't quite work that way. It's not quite that easy. In order to establish their faith and to comfort their faith, Timothy had to be there. And you know, there's a lesson for us as well. One of the best places to find the strength and the support that we need when we are enduring afflictions, when we're enduring enduring attacks on our faith, the best places that we can go, the best place to go to to find that support and that strength is within the assembly. We have to be here. Now, when our faith is weak, and perhaps you've experienced this, our fleshly desire is the exact opposite. We want to pull away. We want to isolate. We just want to you know, find a dark corner and, and, and to stay away from people. But that's not what we need. Yes, Timothy had to go and be in their assembly. He had to be present. And if we want to find that strength, perhaps you're going through a, a time like this in, in your life even right now where your faith is, is being attacked, your, your, your faith is beginning to waver. You need strength. You need, to, you need that stability again. You, you need to be supported and encouraged in the things of God. And the place to do that is the assembly. It is the house of God. It is the place where you belong. And in this case, it could not be accomplished without Timothy going and being there. That was his purpose, to establish and comfort their faith. His message we find in verse 3. Forgot to put both those words there, right? 
His message in verse 3 is fairly simple. That no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. There's two specific messages that Timothy was carrying. Now, some of these weren't necessarily new things. Some of it was just reviewing of what Paul had already taught them. But there were two specific uh, parts of his message. The first part was this. These are very helpful for us. The first part was simply to remember to anticipate suffering. That no man should be moved by these afflictions for yourselves. Know that we are appointed thereunto. Now, this anticipation of suffering was not something new for the believers in Thessalonica. In fact, in verse 3 and verse 4, you see the word no is repeated two times. Paul says, you know this. For yourselves know that we're appointed thereunto. Verse 4, even as it came to pass, and ye know. This is not something new. It's not something that you haven't experienced. You're in the midst of this, but you still need to remember. Remember to anticipate suffering. And you know, that's something that we should know. But we often have to be reminded about it. That if we're a believer, we can't anticipate some persecution for our faith. And you notice how Paul uh, uh, describes it. It's kind of where we got the title for the message. He, He describes suffering and these afflictions as something that as believers we're appointed to. He says they're appointed thereunto, suffering. The word appointed means to to set. It's like the idea of putting something in a particular place for a particular reason. Taking an item, an element, something, and on purpose, choosing a spot for it and placing it in that spot. So it's being described by Paul, and he's saying, you remember, we, we talked about this, that as believers, God has put us in a place where we will, for a specific reason, and in that place, we are going to experience some affliction. We're going to experience some attacks. We're going to experience some persecution for our faith. We've been appointed to that place. Peter in his epistle, and, and you'll remember the book of 1 Peter and 2 Peter deal with this as, uh, as well, that deals with the, this idea of suffering, just like Paul taught the, the Thessalonians. And here he says, For even hereunto, and he's talking about suffering, were ye called. He says, We're called to suffering as believers, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. And then he goes on to talk about how the Lord Jesus Christ endured the sufferings that he went through. And Peter's saying, we've been called to follow, to walk in his footsteps, which includes the suffering, and it also includes suffering in the way that he would suffer. As a believer, we need to understand this tonight. And this is not new, but we need to be reminded of it. We have an appointment with suffering. 
Jesus put it this way when he was preparing his disciples in John 16, 33. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. You shall have. It's a prediction of the Lord Jesus Christ. You shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now there's an important perspective there. But what Jesus is communicating is this is going to happen. And when it does happen, here's how you can respond. We're appointed unto suffering as believers. In verse 4, he puts it this way. For verily when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation. Now this tribulation, the word tribulation means difficulty. It means distress. It means suffering. And so what he's saying is that trouble, difficulty, distress is something that we should suffer, meaning it's, it's imminent. It's going to happen. And in fact, he says at the end of verse four, even as it came to pass, we talked about how it was going to happen. And then it did happen and it is happening. We should suffer. And they experienced that. And of course, you're familiar, 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Whether that persecution comes from the world that's around us because of our faith, whether that persecution comes from our enemy who is attacking our faith, this is something that we ought to anticipate. It's something that we ought to expect. You say, well, why, why is that? Why should we as believers expect persecution? I want you to hold your place here and go to John chapter 15. In John 15, Jesus is preparing his disciples and he's talking about this very subject. It's not going to be long until he goes to the cross, gives his life, and of course the resurrection following that and, and his ascension. So he's preparing them. They're coming to the end of their training and Jesus is, is preparing. This is what's going to happen next. Look in John 15. Look, and uh, we'll start in verse 17. John 15, 17. These are the words of Jesus. These things I command you that you love one another. If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not, they had, not had sin, but now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me hateth my father also." So Jesus lays out some very specific reasons of why we can anticipate and why we can expect a measure of persecution and suffering because of our faith. The first reason he talks about in verse 19 is this, that we are not of this world. He mentions that in verse 19. And you know, it's just natural for us. When people are different, it's a bad tendency, but it is a human tendency. When people are different than us, we don't understand them. They, they don't make any sense to us. It's natural for us to oppose them. It's natural for us to, to have something against them. 
because of those differences. And you know what? We are not of this world in verse 19. We are to, to, to be different. We are to be distinct. We are to be, as Peter describes us, strangers and pilgrims. And there's going to be some head scratching. There's going to be, I don't understand those people. There's going to be some opposition because we ought to be different. And we are different if we're true believers. Another reason in verse 21, the world does not know God, nor does it really want to know God. The world does not want the accountability. They don't want to to, to, to admit to the fact that there's someone who is over them that has the, the right and, and the place of telling them what to do. All these things will they do unto you for my name's sake because they know not him that sent me. They, they don't know God and many of them don't want to know God. Especially the system in which the, the devil has put in place definitely does not want to know God. Another reason we face persecution in verse 22 is that holy living exposes sin. He says, If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. Now that doesn't mean that you know, they would have been sinless had, had I not come. That's not what he's saying. But he clarifies, But now they have no cloak for their sin. As long as everyone is dwelling in darkness, and you're dwelling in darkness, everyone's comfortable. But, it, but when someone shows up with the light... Now, the bugs start to scatter, right? They don't like the light. And just by nature, if you are endeavoring to live a holy life, there's going to be some pushback. There's going to be some people who don't understand. There's going to be some people who target you, who go after you, who speak ill of your, your faith. Because you ought to be living different. You ought to be the light and the holiness that exposes sin. So that's some of the reasons why we suffer. But let me just say, because there's a problem the other side as well, why shouldn't we suffer? Because there's some believers who seem to have a bit of a martyr's complex, and they try to be the most obnoxious and abrasive and terrible people that they can possibly be, and then they can say, look, everyone's persecuting me for Christ. Peter deals with this in 1 Peter 4. If you want to just turn there real quickly, I just want to show you a few verses. 1 Peter chapter 4. And again, as we mentioned earlier, Peter deals with this idea of suffering as well in his epistle. 1 Peter chapter 4, look in verse 12. 1 Peter 4, 12. It says, Beloved, think it not strange. And there we go with that anticipation again. Anticipate suffering. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happen unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. And here, pay attention to verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief. Or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. If we're going to suffer, let it not be because of the negatives in our character. Let it not be because of our own sin. 
Let it not be because of how we mistreat people. Let it not be because we are not caring for people and we're not treating them as we would be treated. Let it not be because we are not loving those that are around it. Make sure that it's for Christ and Christ alone. So we are to anticipate this suffering. As believers, we ought to expect it. You know, in warfare, the element of surprise is a major advantage. If you can somehow come up with the element of surprise, it gives you um, an advantage over your enemy to be able to defeat them. If we are surprised by suffering, not only do we have the attack of the devil upon our faith, but we also have the element of surprise on top of, a, on top of it, which means he has the advantage. We ought not to be surprised by persecution. We ought not to let the devil gain an advantage of us because we are ignorant of his devices. One of the devices that he likes to use is persecution for our faith. He's, he's behind it. He, he, he's the one sending it. That's one of his devices. And if we're surprised by it, now we're at a disadvantage. Remember to anticipate suffering. But then going back to our text, because we need to move along tonight, not only are we to remember to anticipate suffering, but we are also to refuse to be moved by suffering. Refuse to be moved by it. Back in our text, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, right there in the middle or actually it's more the the beginning of verse 3, it says that no man should be moved by these afflictions. That's a very interesting word to be moved. And we'll look at that in just a second, but first of all, let's let's be clear. As Paul is clear in, in this verse, what these believers were facing was very real affliction. Very real affliction. That word means distress. It means agitation. Opposition, persecution. We talked about some of the things that took place in Acts chapter 17 in this very place and and against these very believers. And many of those things would continue on as this church tried to press on for the Lord Jesus Christ. They were facing some very real affliction. So Paul was not minimizing what they were going through. He was not dismissing the difficulty of what they were experiencing. What he was saying was that it's possible for us as believers to stand strong. It's possible for us to, be, to, to refuse to be moved. The word moved means to be shaken. It's the idea of being knocked off your mark. To fear. To give in to the desire to turn back. To give up. To throw up your hands and say, I just, I just can't do it anymore. The main word means this, and it's very intriguing. The word move means to wag the tail. Say, what in the world is the connection there? Well, it's the idea of someone luring someone out of position. Let me give you an illustration. We have a 95-pound puppy in our house. He was every bit of a ninety. He was every bit of ninety-five pounds and every bit of a puppy. Still, uh, one of these days he's going to grow out of it, but we'll see. I don't know when that's going to take place. 
But, um, and perhaps some of you have noticed, uh, he's taken upon himself to adopt the entire church property, and he is guarding the entire church property. So if you drive a car onto church property and come down the drive, uh, he's going to try to let you know that he's in charge around here, he's protecting things, making sure that things are being done right. And if he could, he would chase your car down. And trust me, I've, I've seen him do it, so he can do it. He's that fast. He's got a mean old bark. Well, he sounds really, and he probably looks really intimidating. We get used to his size, but he's a big dog. But if you were to come into our house, and maybe I shouldn't say this, you know, live on the internet, but hey, if you come into our house and you come face to face with Theophilus, the dog, all it's going to take is one offer of a toy, one sort of... uh, um, just just slight hint that you may be there to play with him. Actually, you probably don't even need to hint at that. He automatically thinks that everyone comes in order to play with him. A, a sniff of any sort of food. It doesn't even need to be treats. And that tail will start wagging, and he will be off his mark and completely forget about the obligation to protect the family in the house. I'm not even sure why we have him, other than he's just a pet. That's Theo. But all it takes is just a little something to get the tail to wag. And now all of a sudden, he's lured out of position. He's not anticipating what he needs to anticipate. And you know what? Afflictions have that way with us, don't they, sometimes? It's just a little something. Just a, just a word, just a look, just a little bit of opposition. And all of a sudden, we're like, oh, no, I can't do this anymore. We're moved by that suffering. We're lured out of position because we're not anticipating it. Some of you will remember Acts chapter 20 and verse 24 where Paul is talking to the elders at Ephesus and he's preparing them. And by that time, the believers know there's a very good chance if Paul goes to Jerusalem that he's going to suffer there. And Paul knows that. And he addresses the elephant in the room. And he says, look, I know this is going to take place. I'm pretty sure that this is going to happen. And we know the rest of the story. It did happen. But Paul says, none of these things move me. None of these things knock me off my mark. They don't lure me out of position. They don't shake me. They don't cause me to give up or to to turn around, to, to be afraid. None of these things move me. And the reason why is I don't count my life dear unto myself. And perhaps that's really the issue. That we esteem, we value our lives and our comforts and everything about us. We, We count those things as more and most valuable. But they're not most valuable. What is valuable? Well, he says, what's valuable to me is that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. I'm not going to be moved by these afflictions because the ministry that God has given me, the life that He has given me, they're for Him. And I'm going to live for Him no matter what. Afflictions or not, suffering or not, difficulties or not, Serving Him, ministering to Him, preaching the, and testifying of the gospel, the grace of God, that's more important to me. 
And so these afflictions will not move me. He's made up his mind. And you know what? As believers, we can, with the help and strength of the Holy Spirit, depending upon God, we can refuse to be moved by suffering. Remember to anticipate it. Refuse to be moved by it. And then lastly, real, real briefly tonight, verse 5, we need to touch on this as Paul does. As he sort of finishes this paragraph, he says, For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means a tempter have tempted you and our labor be in vain. He references Satan's craving or Satan's purpose, what Satan is after. He calls him the tempter, reminding them that the enemy that they're facing is not their affliction. The enemy that they're facing is not those that are causing the affliction in their lives. No, the real enemy is the tempter. It's Satan. And that is a good reminder for us. The real enemy is the enemy of our souls. It is the tempter. It is the devil himself. And you know what? There is a purpose in why the devil has sent that suffering your way. Why he has caused the affliction. Why he is attacking your faith. He's got a purpose in that. But you know that God also has a purpose in allowing that suffering to take place? So we've got two purposes, right? Which one happens? Well, the determining factor is us, isn't it? It's our choice whose purpose is fulfilled. If we allow those afflictions to surprise us, to move us, then the devil's purposes are fulfilled. But if we remember to anticipate those sufferings, refuse to be, remo- to be moved by them, God's purposes are accomplished. Notice what Satan is all about in this verse, what he's after. His target is your faith. And that's why Paul says, I sent to know your faith. I need to know how your faith is doing because I know the tempter is going after your faith. And in, in troubles and in afflictions and persecutions, Mark it down. The devil is going after your faith. He's attacking your faith. His target is your faith. So Paul knew he's going to target your faith. And I've got to know how your faith is doing. And Timothy is going to help establish and comfort you concerning your faith. His target is your faith. His tool is temptation. He says, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you. Temptation is to trap, it's to entice and solicit to sin. The devil wants to use suffering as a wedge. Drive that wedge in between you and God. To separate us from our faith, to separate us from God. And he's willing to use whatever means. You notice that word was used, less by any means. He's willing to use whatever is there in order to accomplish that. Nothing is beneath him. Nothing is below him. His tool is is temptation to solicit and entice you away from your faith in God. And his template is to tear down what God has accomplished. You notice what Paul says in verse 5. Lest by some means a tempter having tempted you and our labor be in vain. The devil wants to take Labor done for Christ, that which is, a, which is accomplished for the Lord, and he wants, to, he wants to bring it to vanity. 
he wants to bring it to naught. He wants to take what has been accomplished, the positive, and bring it to zero. His template is to tear down that which God has built. We need to be aware of this, both as believers and as disciplers. That whenever something is accomplished for God, the devil's going to try to get in there and tear down what, what God has accomplished. And when we experience a victory, when, when we experience a step forward and growth in our lives, we, we better be prepared because here comes our enemy with affliction. And the purpose of that affliction is to take us from the positive, what we've just accomplished, and bring us back down. His template is to tear us down. That is his purpose. That's what he's craving. That's what he is after. So tonight, as believers, we have an appointment with suffering. Let's not forget that that's kind of, in a sense, what we signed up for. We could put it this way, it's part of the gig. It's part of the call to follow our Savior. He was persecuted. He was attacked for His faith and If we're going to walk in his footsteps and be his disciples, then the same thing is going to happen. Let's not forget to anticipate that that is coming. We've been warned. We looked at some of those scriptures tonight. We could look at more and more and more. There is so many different references to it. Remember to anticipate it so that we won't be moved by it. And let's also not forget to have our eyes open and the assembly and, and the church that He has put us in, that God has put us in. Let's not forget to, to look around so that we might minister to others when their appointment comes. Say, well, right now, you know, things are going really well. I'm not, I, don't, I don't necessarily feel like I'm under attack. Well, perhaps the person sitting in front of you or behind you, that's what they're going through. And you remember what Paul was willing to do? In order so that those that were important to him would be strengthened in their faith, he was willing to sacrifice. Are our eyes open to the afflictions that are going on around? Now, not just the physical afflictions. Remember, Timothy's target was concerning their faith. It wasn't just those things. And I'm not saying we don't be concerned about those. We ought to be concerned about those because many times... Along with them comes the spiritual attack. Comes the spiritual um, targeting of their faith. Are we alert to those things? Perhaps tonight you can think of someone who's going through a trial of affliction. They face some opposition. They're facing the attack of the devil on their faith. Perhaps that's someone that you could encourage. Perhaps that's someone as... Timothy went to establish and to comfort. And you can sacrifice yourself like Paul sacrificed himself in order to minister to those who need encouragement. Tonight, let's not give up our faith. Let's not be surprised by the afflictions that we might have to endure. We know it's coming. Let's resolve to not be moved to be kind of drawn away from our place. And the whole time, let's remember to keep our eyes open to those that we can minister, minister to in times of affliction. Is it your appointment with suffering? 
Is that, is that your appointment right now? Is that what you're going through? Perhaps an, it's an appointment of a fellow believer that God wants you to step in and minister to. Trust that we'll be reminded of those things tonight.